Welcome to From the Ground Up, insights into crop production productivity from Salford's agronomy expert, Jim Boak. Good morning. Today is Monday, February 13th, and you are listening to From the Ground Up. Today it is just myself, Jess, and Chris DeFonso. Uh, Jim Boak is tied up this morning, so Chris and I are going to talk a little bit about her career in entomology. Chris, would you like to introduce yourself this morning? Uh, sure. Well, first I want to apologize. I've got kind of a cold, so if I sound a little funny, for those of you who know me from uh, from SWAC, it's because I've got a little bit of a cold. So, yep, yeah, I'm the extension entomologist at Michigan State University across the border there, and uh, I do all the field crops in Michigan. I also teach on campus. I do a study abroad I'm involved in our undergraduate degree that we have in the entomology program. And in addition to that, uh, over the years, I've worked a lot over in Ontario with uh, our Chaffsmith program, and I actually have an adjunct appointment in one of the departments at Guelph so that I can serve on graduate committees of some of his uh, students. I actually just had Jim Boak call in, so I'm going to loop him in on this conversation, and uh, we'll okay. keep going here. Jim, you missed Chris's presentation at SWAC, right? Yes, I, I wasn't able to get to that. Chris, do you want to talk a little bit about your presentation at SWAC and what it involved? Well, I was asked to address Western bean cutworm and the failures of the of the Cry1F protein that we were seeing throughout the region. And so you're actually quite lucky in Ontario because Art Shafsma and uh, his student, Jocelyn Smith, have been working on Cry1F and Western Bean and vomitoxin kind of issues since 2010, 2011. And that is actually her thesis is based on that work. And that will soon be coming out. So you have a lot of work sitting there in Ontario to draw from eventually. But the stuff that I was talking about was more from the U.S. side uh, because Jocelyn's work was not quite out yet. So this summer, we started to get phone calls probably beginning middle of August from people in the field, not just growers, but consultants who were seeing quite a bit of damage and caterpillars in corn that was producing Cry1F. And it wasn't just in Michigan, it was in Ohio and New York State. Uh, so it was around that Great Lakes region, Indiana. And we responded pretty quick and we kind of did a, a data call in, kind of sent out the word that we needed pictures and testimonials. And we kind of collected that into a slide set. And many of the pictures that I showed at, at SWAC were kind of the conglomerated effort of everybody submitting pictures and uh, data from the field. And we then tried to work with the registrant to try to understand what was happening and uh, to get maybe a response to try to deal with this problem because growers are buying seed for the next year so early that if they were going to believe they were buying Cry1F seed to control Western bean cutworm, perhaps the seed guides needed to change or be modified to give them a realistic expectation. And some of the seed guides have actually changed and done that. But from an extension standpoint, I would think the Great Lakes entomologists as a whole agree that we're at the point where you cannot rely on hybrids with Cry1F to control Western bean. You 
probably can rely on the Viptera trait, but we don't have many hybrids with that trait in Ontario, Michigan, New York. They're pretty limited. So we're back to Cry1F, and in our view, it does not perform adequately anymore. And so growers are going to have to scout and manage all of their corn, regardless if it has BT or not, for Western bean and spray it if needed. And that would be our recommendation for the for the future. I know at SWAC those sentiments were agreed upon by a lot of the producers that were there listening and sounded like there was some frustration as far as the limited options that were available and, and what they could do. Like you said, spraying is kind of the only option, monitoring and spraying. How do you deal with that from the producers or do you not have that much direct contact with them? Well, I mean, one of the main driving reasons to collect a lot of this information and to send it to the registrant in August and September, we also sent it to EPA as well, was the frustration that was coming from the ground up. We were trying to show the registrant that it wasn't us saying this, it was growers saying this. You know, they were in good faith purchasing trait packages, believing that they would have control of Western bean cutworm. And control to a farmer is 90% control. You know, it's not some kind of suppression thing where you're getting 40% control. They expected control Mm -hmm. and they didn't get it in many cases. And from our viewpoint, the best that we can tell them is, you know, the the VIP trait is actually developed for the southern United States. It was developed uh, for regions where they have fall armyworm, corn earworm, where they have kind of a broader um, number of leps feeding in ears. So that's the reason we don't have a lot of those hybrids available in the north. They may be coming, but that's 2018-2019. At this point, growers just have to understand that we have to manage this pest by scouting and spraying. So in a way, it's kind of like going back to basics. We've kind of lived a 20 years of a charmed life in, in weed control and in insect control with Roundup Ready or herbicide tolerant corn and BT corn. And BT corn has stood up great for corn borer. But these secondary ear pests, especially Western bean, which has invaded our area in the last 10 years, that's not what these traits were developed for. So for a lot of younger growers, grower under uh, 40 or 45 that never scouted for corn borer, you know, this is a reality check that somebody, you, a consultant, there has to be boots on the ground again to see what's going on in the field and to make those decisions. And it's a tough sell. I realize that, but it's sort of back to basics. What role does tillage have in, in managing this pest, Chris? Uh, so Western bean does overwinter. It it drops to the ground, like so in a cornfield, it would drop to the ground late August, early September, and they're the big fat larvae. They burrow down into the ground and they uh, kind of evacuate their gut and they look kind of like a like a crinkle cut French fry, if you know what that looks like. They're they're kind of shriveled and they're they're still alive and they're it's called a pre pupae. They haven't pupated yet, but they're not quite a larva. And they, they kind of form a little round chamber that they're in. And uh, probably the reason why sandy soil tracks with Western bean is that they can probably get deeper down in that, in that uh, sandier soil. So in buckets, we've gotten them down to 16 inches. And wow. I know Jocelyn Smith has done some work too. And, you know, they, they can get down there pretty far. 
So they are below a frost line. Not that we've had frost this year. It seems so so warm. But they, they can get down below where there's any kind of effect of really cold temperatures. And then in the spring, uh, they pupate, and that moth has to climb out of that soil, climb through that soil profile. It's kind of interesting to think of her doing that, which, again, may be why some of that that sandier soil allows her to get out, but a heavier soil, maybe she can't get out. Now, So we have a, a pocket of western bean, a very persistent pocket, in the upper peninsula of Michigan, where we have five, six, seven dry bean growers in, in one area. And they, uh, they've had western bean up there for, for a number of years and often spray. So it's not like this thing is you know, impacted by, by really cold weather. And for tillage, we have reduced tillage for a reason, for soil health benefits. And so we don't have uh, nutrients running off in the spring and things of that nature. So, I mean, it's kind of like with corn borer. I think you'd have to have some region-wide, everybody and their brother would have to till, you know, in order to do much to this insect. So, yes, maybe some deep, some deep tillage, you'd disrupt their overwintering and then uh, kill some, but tillage isn't going to, like, work us out of a western bean cutworm problem. The reason I asked, though, is our, our company works very hard on developing tools, tillage tools that are a lot more surgical than than you know what most people when they think of tillage they just automatically think of total soil disruption and significant damage to the soil structure we've worked very hard on on trying to develop tools i shouldn't say trying to we've de- developed tools now that are you would say soil friendly in in that we're not totally breaking down the structure so i guess i was wondering if you know, with tools like some of the ones we've developed, the I-Series tools with with shanks that, that we use to put down fertilizer, if those would be somewhat effective in managing this insect at least. Well, I mean, let's say you had a field and you did that, whether it was complete moldboard plow or you do some kind of tillage that's just disrupting a narrow band. So, and let's say that you do kill some of the western bean in the field. It's kind of like, so what? Because your neighbor didn't. Uh, till or do that or the guy five miles away didn't do that and they have western bean in 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 their fields so these are strong flyers and those females uh they're they're not it's not the it's not like corn rootworm where the ones you raised last year are with you again next year these guys emerge and then fly around the landscape and in corn specifically look or the females specifically choose which fields are most attractive to them so even if you had western bean in your field last year and this year your corn is uh early planted and when it and when the females come out it's uh let's say it's it's late planted and it's just in the world stage she's not interested in that she's going to go to your neighbor anyway <laughs> so so they, they're moving around the landscape, picking and choosing uh, for that pre-tassel corn. And, and that's the other thing where we get into trouble where people will say, man, I didn't have any last year, uh, but how come I have them this year? Or how come one I, – I, I didn't see any in my field last year. The Cry1F must have worked. Well, it, it, it's not just that they're there or not. They're choosing the fields by what's most attractive to them. And if your field isn't attractive, it's not that the BT worked or that they weren't in the landscape. It's just that your field 
wasn't the field they were that interested in. And that can also account for these differences in infestation. We've had arguments sometimes from industry that, well, look at it. It worked last year. And you could argue, yeah, but, you know, the corn was planted uh, late in that region and it was not attractive during peak flight. So it escaped colonization. That doesn't mean your product worked. So that's why scouting is super critical because these just don't go into corn. They go into pre-tassel corn during peak flight, and that's where they uh, lay their eggs. Thanks for listening. You can stay up to date with Selford on Twitter at Selford Group and on Facebook, same thing, Selford Group. From the Ground Up was brought to you by Selford Group, manufacturers of Airway, BBI, Valmar, and Selford tillage, seeding, and application equipment. For more information on Selford Group, go to selfordgroup.com or call 1-866-442-1293.